Well, 3G Sunday has been wrapped in a series that we've been doing over the past five weeks. And in this series, we've been learning something that all of us desperately want in our lives. And I have to warn you, if, if you're new with us, that today's message is uh, kind of not recycled, but it's been blown from October the 9th, which when it was planned, Hurricane Matthew came along and blew part two of our series to part five of our series today. So we're ending part five with part two, if that makes sense. Um, so if it feels a little out of order, it is. It really is, and I know that, I, I get it, so I'm just warning you up front, this is kind of out of order. But we've been in this series where we've been looking at something that all of us dream about. We work long hours for, we put up with all kinds of nonsense, hoping that this thing will happen for us. We hope that one day we will become rich. I mean, think about that. Like, isn't that why we go to work many days? Isn't that what we dream about in, in those moments when we're at work hoping that, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be able to quit our job and win the lottery or something. Maybe we'll get this big inheritance or, or maybe that invention, the next greatest thing since the Chia Pet will actually like, you know, get traction and off it goes and millions of people will want our Chia Pet thing and then we'll become millionaires. We'll be able to retire and do whatever we want with our time. So wouldn't that be amazing if that happened? Let's just dream about that for just a second. Dream about what would you say to your boss the next time you saw your boss after you knew you had come into a large amount of money? Don't say it out loud because your boss might be here. Some of you might actually say something like this. Take this job and shove it. All right, we're not going to listen to the whole song, um, but some of you would like to, and I recommend don't say that to your boss unless you actually have another job or you actually did win the lottery or something. Now, in this series, what we learned is God is not bothered by us being rich. Silence, like crickets, like, wow, that, was, that got really quiet fast. God is not bothered by us being rich. There's some different thoughts out there in Christendom about that. There's some people that say, um, you know, God, he wants you to be wealthy, that a sign of God working in your life means you're wealthy. I don't think that's theologically accurate. There's another thought out in Christianity about if you're going to be a true Christ follower, you will be poor. I don't think that's an accurate measure of what Christianity teaches. So God's not bothered by wealth. What God wants is for us to learn how to live rich. That's what God is after. So here's the thing. You can be rich and not live rich. And you can live rich and not be rich. What God cares about is that we all together as Christ followers learn how to live rich from his perspective. So the verse that we've been using or the passage that we've been using in this series is 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 17, 18, and 19. So if you have a Bible, feel free to flip over, to, over there. We're going to look at that for just a moment as we start this morning. And just to inform you, if you haven't been a part of this series so far, this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. 
And Timothy was a pastor of a church named Ephesus, and Paul was kind of his mentor. So Paul was teaching Timothy how to interact with his church family around specific subjects. And so he gets to chapter six, and Paul says to Timothy, he says this in verse 17, he says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, when I read that, I think, man, that's very nice of Paul to speak to Timothy about what rich people should do. But Paul's certainly not talking about me because I'm not rich. And many of us feel that way. Who's rich? Somebody with that name or somebody who makes a whole lot more money than we make, but it's certainly not us. Now, in week one in this series, we learned that if you make over $34,000 a year, that puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Isn't that amazing? Now, you don't seem very excited about that. In week one, nobody was either. And, and why aren't we excited about that? Because we don't feel rich. And here's what we do. We compare ourselves to the other 1% of top wage earners in the world. And when we do, we say, I'm not rich because she has more than I do. He has more than I do. He's driving a nicer car. She lives in a nicer house. She's got a better job. You know, he's got more money in his bank account. So when we compare ourselves to the other 1%, we feel like we're not rich. But God says, step back and get a global perspective. When we step back and look at our world and understand that there's 99% of the world that we are richer, more richer than, however you say that. I was not an English major, okay? So however you say that, we have more money than the 99%. If you make more than $34,000 a year, there's a whole lot of people that make way less than that. When we start comparing ourselves to the world, I think we can understand that Paul is talking about us. This is us. Here. So Paul says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Now, the reason Paul said this is because we have this problem as a one percenter problem, okay? So the problem is we trust in our provision instead of our provider. We have a regular battle with that. There's a regular battle that happens in our hearts that when we get stuff, placed in our world by God, placed in our lives, placed in our hands, we have this tendency to trust more in our stuff than the God who gave us that stuff. So Paul says, you gotta teach these people. You've gotta teach them not to trust in their money, but to trust in God who richly gives us all that we need. And then verse 18, Tim taught uh, verse 18, verse 19, two weeks ago, did a great job of helping us understand what we should do with our money. And Paul went on and he said, tell them to use their money to do good. And they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. And that led us right into 3G Sunday. That helped motivate us to, to move into 3G Sunday and realize God has given us so much. What does God want us to do with that stuff? He wants us to go out into our community and give back to him, be generous to other people in need. Why do we do that? Verse 19 Verse 19 helped us to understand this. By doing this, we will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future. Now, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about eternity. 
He's echoing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, don't store up your treasures here on earth. I mean, don't get so worried about your bank account and what's in your garage. Don't worry about that stuff. Store your treasures in heaven where they will last forever. How do we store treasures in heaven? Through our deeds, through how we live, how we live our lives. That when we live rich from God's perspective, that helps us store up treasures in heaven. So that's what we've been learning so far in this series. Now, today, like I said, we're gonna go back and we're gonna look back in verse 17 and we're gonna look at something today that's gonna help us in a major way to keep our trust in God and not in money or stuff. This is a significant thing that God has used for thousands of years, significant thing that God has used in my life as well. So we are gonna talk today about the spiritual practices of tithing and offerings. And wow, it's super quiet. All right, so here's what some of you are thinking. I knew I should have stayed in bed today. Like, why? Like, you know, I woke up, I was like, do I go to church? Should I stay in bed? Like, okay, maybe I'll go to church. And you came and now you're thinking, why did I come to church on this day? Or maybe you invited a friend and your friend came and you're like, why did they come today? Like, why not another day? Well, let me just encourage everybody to just relax. You will walk out of here with all the money that you walked in with, okay? So I know when a pastor starts talking about money, people start feeling weird, holding their, their wallets a little tighter and their purses a little closer and, and feeling a little bit awkward about this. So let me just alleviate some of this tension. If you feel that I'm manipulating you in some way, if you question my motives out of this message today, what I encourage you to do is give somewhere else. Don't give here not interested in, in what you give. The cool thing is, I don't know what people give here, and I don't care what people give here. That, that's, that's not for me to know. That's between you and God. So if you feel a little bit weird about, about anything, just know, like, I'm not looking at the giving roster. Like, I, I never see that, and I don't care about that stuff. Um, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to... Uh, teach something today that I think is super important. It's super important in my life, something that God has, has done in my life through it. And I think it's super important for all of us. So here's what I ask. Just relax and listen and just hear. Like, what does God want to say to you today? And let God speak to you. And here's what I want you to know. The bottom line thought from today is this. When it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing, God wants something for us, not something from us. And I did not get that for many years in my life. But today, God wants something for you. He doesn't want something from you. Now, uh, one more thing I want you to know is that this message is not for everyone. If you are not a Christ follower, this message doesn't apply to you. So this may be the one day you go, I am so glad I'm not a Christ follower today. Um, so this could be that message where you just check out the, the information that we're giving. You can watch the rest of us kind of wrestle with this, but you are under no obligation to do what God is asking you to do if you are not a Christ follower. Okay, now when it comes to tithing, when it comes to giving, there's all kinds of questions about this. I've asked, all kinds of people ask, ask pastors, they ask on a regular basis. Um, I've asked a lot of questions in my own journey about tithing. And I've had, just in the past month, I've had a number of people ask me a number of questions about tithing and giving. And my answer has always been, hey, if you'll come on a, oh, October 9th, I'll answer those questions from a biblical perspective. And then Hurricane Matthew came. And so hopefully those people are here today to hear these answers. But here are some of the questions that we ask when it comes to tithing. We ask things like, what is the biblical definition of tithing and where is it found in the Bible? 
We ask whether tithing is part of the Old Testament law, and since we're under the age of grace, do we still have to do that, or is that just an Old Testament thing? We ask, um, does the Bible even talk about tithing in the New Testament? Sometimes it seems like all the verses are in the Old Testament, so does the New Testament even talk about it? We ask if we should tithe, where should we tithe? Do we, do we tithe anywhere we want, or are we supposed to tithe to the church? Where does God want us to tithe? Some people ask, should we tithe on the gross or the net of our income? Um, some people ask, if my spouse doesn't believe in tithing, what should I do? Let's say my spouse is not a Christ follower. Uh, what should I do in that context? And then there are some people that ask, you know, I am in so much debt. Does God still want me to tithe? Like I'm, I'm in debt, like oh, over my head in debt. Like I can't even begin to get this thing straight. Uh, does God expect that I tithe? Those are just some of the questions that people ask, some of the questions that I've asked. And uh, as I was working on this message, I had all of the answers for all of those questions. And then I timed my message and it was like two hours. And I thought... Maybe I won't keep you here that long today, and maybe you would come back the next week if I didn't. Next week, we're not talking about tithing. We're talking about something else. Um, so I whittle this down. I'm not going to be able to answer every question about tithing that I've listed today, but I'm going to hit most of them, okay? So if you're ready, here we go. Question number one, what is the definition of tithing, and where is it found in the Bible? Well, tithing, that word tithe comes from the Hebrew word ma'aser, and ma'aser means a tenth. So it represents a tenth of someone's income or someone's increase. The first time we see tithing mentioned in the Bible is Genesis chapter 14 with Abraham. So Abraham went and he rescued his nephew Lot from a king who came and defeated him in battle. So Abraham gathered his troops, they went after that king and rescued Lot, took all the plunder from that king and one of the verses in Genesis chapter 14 says that when he came back, he gave a tenth he gave a tithe of all the plunder that he had taken from that king to a priest named Melchizedek. Now, the second time we see tithing mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 28, and it is around the story of Jacob. So Jacob um, had this dream that God was going to bless him immeasurably. And so what Jacob said in response in Genesis 28, verse 22, Jacob said he was going to give a tenth of everything that God would give him back to God. Jacob did that throughout his life. He tithed out of everything that God had given him. Now, there aren't a whole lot of other references to tithing in the early part of the Bible um, around that time frame, and we're not sure if Abraham tithed on other occasions, but when we get to uh, Jacob's descendants' story, the story of the Israelites in slavery. God comes along and rescues them from 400 years of slavery. And then he starts teaching them how to live in a right relationship with himself and with other people, uh, people of the, the nation of Israel and people outside of that nation. Levit Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says this. This is God's instruction for the nation of Israel. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. And then verse 32 says, count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. So the Israelites lived in an agricultural society. And so what that meant was God said, listen, I want you to tithe a tenth of everything from your produce, everything from your animals. So when you gather 10 apples, take one apple, set it aside, give that back to me. When you have 10 animals, take one, one animal, take one sheep, set that aside and give that back to me. 
Now, the nation of Israel, sometimes they engaged that very well. Other times, they didn't engage that very well. So on one occasion, God confronted them for neglecting to tithe. Malachi chapter three, verse eight, God asked, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. So you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture, um, this is the one place in scripture where God says, try me, test me, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven to bless your life. And every other spot in the Bible, it says, it's not good to test God. Don't test God, don't tempt God, don't try God. But in this one spot, God says, listen, um, see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven to bless your life. Now, I think the reason that God throws out this big challenge to us, this big test to us, is because he knows our hearts. He knows what happens in our hearts. And we have this tendency, when God places something in our hands, we have this tendency to curl our hands around it and say, it's mine. It belongs to me. Psalms 24.1 says, everything on earth belongs to God. All the land, all the animals, all the people, everything belongs to God. But we forget that. And so we have this tendency to close our fingers around the stuff that God has placed in our hands and think that it's ours. So here's kind of a goofy illustration that kind of helps to, to make my point. A number of years ago, my son and I were out at a store and he did what he and, and my other three kids have always done. What I did when I was a kid, I'm sure what you did when you were a kid, is uh, we were leaving a store and he said, dad, would you buy me some candy? And normally my response is, most times I'm like, no, you don't need candy. And um, this time though, I thought, ah, I'm feeling generous, I'm gonna buy him some candy. So I bought my son some Skittles and as he tore into the bag, he was so delighted to enjoy the rainbow. And he was eating his Skittles. And while I'm watching my son eat his Skittles, I said, hey, buddy, can I have a couple? And he said, no. you've met my son or you've, <laughs> you've been in that spot yourself. So my son grabbed the bag and turned away and said, no, dad. They're mine. Now, as the great bestower of candy, I'm thinking in that moment, you little stinker. Like a minute ago, you didn't have candy and you had the big alligator tear eyes like, dad, would you please? Like, I'm in need of some candy. And I said, yes. And so I gave you some candy and now you're saying, no, you can't have what you didn't have a moment ago. And... Man, that is, is kind of bothersome. Here's the, here's the thing I wanted to say to my son. I don't need your candy. Do you know that I could go buy all the candy that would fill up your room and you would think you had died and gone to candy heaven? Don't you know I don't need your candy? But here's what I watched in my son. I watched the Skittles take control of my son's heart. And, and that was a concern for me. 
uh, as I watched his little hands curl around that and turn and say, no, it's mine. And I'm going, it's Skittles. Like, what do they cost? Like 50 cents, a dollar? I'm not sure. But it's Skittles. Why would you clench your fist around Skittles? And here's the secret. When it comes to giving, God says the same thing to us. And God says, listen, here's the deal. I want something for you, not something from you. When I was interacting with my son, like, I didn't want that from him. Like, I, did, I wasn't in need of his Skittles. God is not up in heaven in need of our Skittles. Like, God doesn't need money for candy. So God has everything in the world. It already belongs to him already. So what is God interested in for us? God wants to make sure that our stuff doesn't own us. That's what God is interested in when it comes to the subject of, of giving and tithing. Now, I said a few weeks ago, one of the greatest competitors for our relationship with God is our relationship with money. That's why Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve both of them. You can serve God or you can serve money, but here's the best thing you can do. Why don't you serve God with the money that he has given you? So God is concerned about that in our lives. So here's what tithing does in my life. I have a regular tendency to wrap my hands around stuff and say, mine, God, you can't have any. I wonder where my son got that from. I think he got it from me. So anytime God places something in my hands, there's a regular battle in my heart to clench my fist around it and say, it's now mine and God, you can't have it. So I battle that on a regular basis. When it comes to giving, comes to tithing, when it comes to giving back to God, doing that helps me to keep my hands open so that God can place more things in my life if he wants to, and God can take something out of my life if he so chooses. So that's what tithing specifically does for me. Now, some people wonder, you know, is that just an Old Testament thing? Yeah, I know it's mentioned in the Old Testament, but is it mentioned in the New Testament? But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. So in Matthew 23, Jesus was talking with some religious leaders and the subject of tithing comes up. He says this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. So can you imagine that? I just love seeing the picture of that, like watching folks, you know, counting their herbs. Okay, one, two, like 10. Okay, so one for God, nine for me. Just fascinating that Jesus says that. And, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Should you tithe? Yes, you should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things, the more important things of justice, mercy, and helping people grow in their faith. So think about what Jesus could have said in this moment. He could have said, you know, I'm about to die. And when I die, I'm going to do away with that Old Testament practice. You won't have to tithe anymore. But I honestly believe, it's my opinion, I believe that Jesus confirmed the tithe for his day, and he confirmed it for our day. Now, some people uh, use a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, to kind of indicate that tithing is, is not an issue for us today. So listen to what that verse says. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven says, you must, must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give, give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
Now, that verse seems pretty straightforward when it comes to giving. You, know, you decide the amount, I decide the amount, give it cheerfully, and then, and then we're good. But if you read that passage, you read that whole chapter, you begin to understand that the author is not talking about um, tithing. The author is talking about this specific thing called special offerings. There's a special offering being taken up for needy Christians in Jerusalem at that time. And that's what the apostle Paul was talking about in that verse. So tithing and offerings are two different things. So we're gonna go down the offerings route for just a moment. The first time we see free will offerings given in the Bible is in Genesis chapter four. This is a story of Cain and Abel. And uh, this is Adam and Eve's first kids. And so we have Cain as a farmer. We have Abel as a shepherd. Genesis chapter four, verse three says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Verse four says, Abel also brought a gift, the best of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Now, this was not a tithe commanded by God. This was a free will offering that Cain and Abel chose to give. And this wasn't an issue of God liking meat more than apples. Okay, so that, that wasn't the issue there. This was an issue of God looking into Abel and Cain's hearts and noticing something that I noticed with my son that I'm sure my parents noticed with me and God notices that happens in my heart all the time. So if you look at those verses again, you notice that Cain brought some of his produce to God. So here's what happened. He got an apple. Wow, that's a nice apple. That's for me. Here's a good apple. You know, that's good enough for God. Let me give that to God. Ooh, another nice apple. That's for me. And then we get to Abel. It says that Abel took the best of his firstborn lambs, the best that he had. It was the first that he had. It wasn't the last of the lambs. It was the first of the lambs. He took the best and he gave those to God. That's what God was concerned about. You see, for Cain, Cain's possessions had taken possession of him. Had taken possession of his heart. God was concerned. God confronted Cain about that, said, Cain, do the right thing and it will go well for you. But Cain didn't do the right thing. And he was so jealous. He clenched so tightly to his Skittles and he turned away and said, God, you can't have any. It's mine that he ultimately ended up killing his brother over his jealousy. I think that's a picture of what can happen when we hold too tightly to things and we think, oh, that could never happen. Like, that's so extreme. But don't we see relational death that happens on a regular basis when we say it's mine and God, you can't have it? Relational death between us and God, relational death between us and other people who are in need, that can happen in our own lives. Now, another time that we see offerings given in the Bible is in Exodus 35. And in Exodus 35, God gives instructions to Moses about um, a special offering that he wanted to take up for a tabernacle that, that was going to be built. We call it the temple. It was called the tabernacle in that day. In Exodus 35, verse 21, it says, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the material needed for the tabernacle for the performance of its rituals and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. Now, again, this wasn't a tithe. This was an offering that God had asked people to give. It's kind of like when we took a special offering this past summer for our partnership in Guatemala. 
So we told you about water filters that you could give towards and a number of you gave so that we could give over 80 water filters to people in need in Guatemala. So your heart was stirred and you gave towards that special offering. So 2 Corinthians chapter nine is not talking about tithing. It's talking about offerings. Again, those are two separate things. So here's a way to remember the difference between those two. A tithe is what we bring to God because it belongs to God. And an offering is what we give to God when our hearts are stirred, when our hearts are moved to give towards something. Now, the next question that a number of us ask is, okay, if I'm supposed to give a tithe, where does God want me to give that tithe? Am I supposed to give that to the church? Am I supposed to give that like wherever I choose? Like, how does that work? To answer that, we have to go back to Malachi chapter three. So Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. I believe that God wants us to give our tithes back to him through a local church. And then I think that God gives us the freedom where we wanna give special offerings to. So we can give special offerings to anything, anyone, any organization, can be inside the church, outside the church, when our heart is stirred, when our heart is moved to give towards that specific thing. Now, about a month ago, I uh, tried to make the case that the local church is the hope of the world. Another way to say this is that Jesus is the hope of the world and he's chosen local churches to carry that message to the world. And I think since that is God's number one plan to reach the world with a life-changing message of Jesus Christ, I think God wants his church fully resourced to do the work that God is asking us to do. And I think that happens when we give back to God through our tithes, Sometimes through our offerings, if we choose to give that through a local church, but I think that primarily happens when we give back to God through our tithes. Now, I wish that I could say that I've been super great at this in my life, but I can't say that. Uh, I grew up in a, a culture, where my family culture, where my parents took me to church, and when I was little, they'd give me the dime to take into Sunday school, and I, you know, what am I doing with a dime? I don't know. I wanted candy. I didn't want to give that to the church. I mean, that's terrible, but so I had that practice of handing in a dime, and it came from my parents, so they were trying to instill in me, hey, like, it belongs to us, but we're just passing it through you, um, and so I w- learned so greatly about that into my adulthood that I didn't practice it, uh, you know, much at all. And so I got out on my own and I called myself the generous tipper. So I grew up in a church where uh, the offering basket would be passed and you know, moments where I didn't want to feel awkward and somebody sitting behind me noticed I didn't put anything in the plate. So I would reach in and if I had some money in my pocket, I'd look real quick. It was a 20. Well, I'm not giving a 20 because that's a little too much. I might need that later. A 10, oh, maybe, like, I don't know. That's a stretch. If I had a few ones, I'd roll those up and then put it in thinking, hey, maybe people will think I put like a, a bunch of 20s in there. And wouldn't that be awesome if people thought that about me? So that was kind of my giving practice in my journey. About 18 years ago, my wife and I got serious about tithing. And I felt like it's something God had been speaking to me for a number of years and something I kept saying to God, no, it's mine. Nope, it's mine. No, I don't trust you. Nope, it's mine. So the interesting thing was uh, we were in school. I was finishing my graduate degree. I was working a full-time job, part-time job, full-time school. Um, We were spread so thin in every direction. And at the time... We had $5,000 in credit card debt. We had hospital bills and we made a whopping $700 a month. 
So it was fantastic. And uh, my wife said, you know, I think we should tithe at this moment. And I'm like, you are out of your mind. Like, we need this money more now than we've ever needed this money. And my wife is persuasive, so we started tithing. And um, so we started tithing $35 every two weeks. And I would look at that and go, are you kidding me? Really? $35. Church doesn't need $35. We need $35. And so my wife would encourage me. And I took that leap of faith with her that we are trusting God. Okay, we're doing this. And what I noticed as we continued to tithe, I noticed what happened with my hands and my heart. I started opening my hands, going, God, like, I don't get it. I don't understand how you work with this supernatural principle, this super, supernatural practice of tithing. I don't fully understand it, but I'm trusting you. And I noticed that God opened my hands and God has opened my heart to whatever God wants to do in my life, whatever God wants to put in my life, whatever God wants to take out of, of my life. And so here's the deal. I don't say that to, you know, for you to pat me on the back. I'm not, you, you can't pat me on the back for anything. Like, I, I, I'm not worthy of that. But I say that because I want you to know I wouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not doing. I would never ask you to do that. If I'm not doing it, I'm not asking you to do it. That's why preaching for me is so incredibly challenging. Because when subjects come up, I know God is going to give me a teachable moment. I know God's going to stretch me. God's going to work in me before I can say anything to you. God's going to work in my life. So the reason I say that is because I want you to know this is something I'm doing. And what I challenge you to do is if you're a Christ follower, I challenge you to take a leap of faith and trust God and start tithing. Now I know, you're shaking, you're sweating a little. I know, I was in that spot. You know what? Not that I was in that spot. Uh, every time I get a paycheck, I sit down and write a tithe. Why? Because of my tendency to do this. If I don't write it quick, if I don't write it first, if I write all the bills first and then I go to tithe, guess what? I have that tendency to do this. So again, it's a regular thing for me. There's a regular battle in my own heart. So I encourage you, I challenge you to take a leap of faith and trust God and start tithing. Now, if you question my motives, if you think that I'm trying to manipulate you in some way to give here, please give somewhere else. There's nothing worse than spiritual manipulation. It's a horrible kind of manipulation. So I do my best to never manipulate anybody spiritually. Um, so if you, if you feel um, a little in question about my motives, I encourage you to give somewhere else. Next thing I encourage you to do is give special offerings as you feel led. So when something comes along and stirs your heart, give towards that. You decide the amount. You decide what you're going to give, and then you give that. So we'll have an opportunity to do that. Megan was telling us about that in the announcement. So we'll have an epic Christmas giving tree in the next few weeks, and we'll have uh, on that all kinds of tags. So I encourage you to go over and check out the tags. And when you walk up and look at the tags, you might be moved to take one tag off. You might be moved to take 10 tags off. You might be moved to take no tags off. That's up to you. So you decide what you want to do. You decide that amount, and then you give cheerfully. I think bringing tithes and giving offerings, that is one of the greatest ways for us to always keep our trust in God and not to allow it to shift to our stuff. 
So in just a minute, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to close us with a song about trust. And what I encourage you to do as this song is, is being sung is to have a conversation with God about how much you trust him, about this issue of tithing and giving. Talk to him about that and do what God leads you to do. Here's the deal. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to what God leads you to do in your own life. Now, um, let me transition one more time, then we'll get back into my prayer, and we'll, we'll close this out today. But next week, I encourage you to come back next week, because next week, we're going to talk about election 2016. If it has not been on your calendar, if you haven't gotten grossly disgusted by all the mailers and all the commercials, like there's something important coming up on November the 8th. So we're going to talk about that next week. So I hope you'll come back for that. It should be fun. And I hope you'll bring somebody with you for that. All right. So let's pray. And then our worship team will come out. God, I'm so incredibly grateful for the work that you've done in my own life and this issue of tithing and giving special offerings. Lord, um, this is about you and, and what you're doing in our lives. And it's about the reality that you want something for us, not something from us. And the regular habit of giving tithes, the regular habit of giving offerings helps us to keep our trust in you, our focus on you. It helps us to build a foundation that will last forever. It helps us to, to send our investment into eternity where we'll get to experience that for all of eternity with you. So Lord, I just pray for us as a church family that we would understand that to the core of our being. And Lord, this is a big issue. It's a big trust issue. And Lord, you know how I battle with that. And you know where I was in that spot where I'm like, God, I just don't trust you. It's my Skittles. It's my stuff. And yet, God, we all need to understand that everything belongs to you. And you ask us to give back a portion of that in recognition that it's all yours. So God, it's a bigger issue than stuff. This is about our hearts. Lord, we want you to have all of our hearts, not just a portion. We want you to have 100% of our hearts. So God, speak to us through this. Help us take leaps of faith in trusting you. God, do what only you can do in our lives. Help us to learn how to live rich from your perspective. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen.